Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And welcome, friend of the show, NPR TV critic Eric Deggins. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for being here. The same to you. So we're going to talk about some of the most anticipated new TV shows of the first half of 2022. And... Why not start with some scandal, Eric, right? A group of shows about some true stories, some real notorious characters. First off, some 90s nostalgia in Pam and Tommy. Now, this is the new miniseries, the story of Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee and that infamous sex tape that got stolen. It premieres on February 2nd and is created by Greg Gillespie, the director of I, Tanya and Cruella. Now, Eric, what do you make of this? This looks like a really interesting project. I mean, of all the things to bring to television, I don't know that I would have thought of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know that this would have been my, my, my first choice. But I have to say that um, uh, the series leads, uh, Sebastian Stan, and who's who's the female lead on this Lily one? James. Lily, Lily James. James. Yeah, she they, plays they both. Anderson. They both really look like the people that they're portraying, and and so I'm I'm really interested in seeing uh, how this is going to play out, and it you know it's, it's centered on the scandal that erupted when uh, the sex tape uh, emerged uh, of the two of them. Uh, you know, Tommy Lee being the drummer for Molly Crew and Pam Anderson being, you know, this sort of uh, cheesecake uh, TV star from Baywatch, you know, it, it kicked off a whole industry and it did kind of change show business in a way. And so there's a lot there. I can't wait to see uh, how they handle it. Yeah, I mean, Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee are stuff of pop culture legend. And that and that leaked sex tape felt like one of many um, that would come in the 90s, oddly, as you said, like an industry. Now, again, it's Craig Gillespie who's behind this, and he has Nick Offerman and Seth Rogen playing the two crooks that actually steal the tape. Gillespie seems to like these type of characters. I remember Paul Walter Hauser. He plays a similar character in both I, Tanya and Cruella. I don't know what to call them, but like misfit characters who still manage to pull things off, at least at the beginning of the shows or film. It's a little shy of a mockumentary, but there is a tone that is about um, amping up the absurdity and the humor of the situation and making fun of these characters uh, who are sort of hapless people, even though, you know, even though, of course, Pam and Tommy were very successful you know, um, the, the other characters you get the sense are the gang that can't shoot straight. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. I think the show is going to have to argue a little bit for why it exists. You know, if it's just to make fun of these people, if it's just, if it just feels like a live action sort of version of like Tiger King, but it's set around, you know, the Pam and Tommy saga. Uh, I don't know if that will work, but, but, but if they've created something that manages to sort of comment on the times 
and comment on the impact of that tape and also kind of uh, poke fun at the absurdity of the whole situation, uh, they, they might really be on to something. I mean, Lily James, who I would never have thought looked anything like Pamela Anderson, is incredible in that, so we'll see. That, and that's then, why they call it acting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and good makeup, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Will you please state your name for the record? Please welcome Pamela Anderson. Did you know anything at all about Mr. Lee before you met him? I knew he was the drummer for Motley Crue. Did you find him attractive? I like to smile. I still do. We're so good together, Pamela. To everlasting love. We have recently come into possession of a piece of material. like we're seeing something we're not supposed to be seeing. The wonderful Shonda Rhimes is back on February 11th with a, another scandalous lady. It's Anna Delvey in her show Inventing Anna. Talk to us about that one. Yeah, now I have seen screeners of this and it is really interesting. So Anna Delvey, some people may remember, is this con artist who took advantage of high society people in New York City and sort of convinced them that she was some sort of heiress from Europe and uh, wormed her way into their lives and then eventually uh, was sent to jail. Who is this person? Who the hell is Anna Delvey? Real hot girl shit. I might have a story. But their body built like a dog. I ain't in no competition with these at all. I should own a bakery way. I want to tell you about my friend, Anna. I think she's a con woman. Do it on it, do it on it, do it, do it, do it on it, do it on it, do it, do it, do it. Do it. As the story uh, starts, she's in jail, and 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 a journalist is trying to convince her uh, to tell her story. And so the journalist is is getting her to tell her story while she's in prison. So we see that in flashbacks. And the journalist is also trying to research the things that she's being told because, of course, she's talking to a con artist and she wants to make sure <laughs> that what she's being told is, is what actually happened. And, and, you know, so there's a little bit of Rashomon there where um, she talks to a bunch. She this this one reason why this woman was such a successful con artist is that she was able to present a different vision of who she was to different people in her life. So, you know, talk to one person and you get one version of who Anna is, you talk to another person, you get another version of who Anna was. And, and the journalist is going around sort of collecting all these stories and trying to figure out what the truth is. Also in the middle of all of that, uh, she works for a magazine that seems to be sort of a thinly veiled version of New York or the New Yorker, where um, the older writers have been marginalized and, and, and but they, they can't outright fire them. Uh, so since these older writers are kind of marginalized, they're all sort of pitching in to help her out with the story with research. And um, uh, and there's some uh, you know really great character actors who play these older writers. So um, it's a really interesting sort of mix of characters and storylines. And what's notable about this is this is the first series that Shonda Rhimes herself has created for Netflix. Uh, Bridgerton, which she executive produced, was actually technically created by uh, someone else who worked at her production company, oh, right. Shondaland, and was and was written uh, and kind of guided by that person. So this will be the first show where we'll see where Shauna Rhimes is the created it and is the primary creative voice uh, in it. And um, 
uh, uh, of course, we get um, the actress from uh, yeah, Julia Garner. Julia Garner from Ozark who, plays who does a really great job, sort of capturing Anna Delvey's very specific speech patterns and and um, and behaviors. So um, so yeah, this is this is really interesting. I think I think people are really going to like it. And for our listeners, another friend of the show, Aaron Moyed, who's been on a few times, um, he has he plays her lawyer, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's going to be interesting. And then we have another scandalous story, and that's the dropout, Elizabeth Holmes story, who actually whose trial was just concluded. She was found guilty. She's played by Amanda Seyfried in this show. Well, again, you know, this is this is a story that sort of begs to be kind of uh, realized in a TV movie or a limited series. Um, I haven't yet seen any episodes of this show, so I don't know um, how good it is. But, um, you know, I've seen several documentaries about Elizabeth Holmes. And when you see sort of the, the, the facts of, of what she pulled off, um, it, it, it just seems right for, for a show like this. You know, if, you, if, if you've watched, for example, Dr. Death, you know, the, um, the, the limited series that Peacock did about this incredibly bad uh, neurosurgeon who, who wound up uh, disfiguring and, and crippling a lot of patients before he was stopped. It, it's, a, you know, that kind of story is, is perfect for these kinds of limited series um, adaptations. And so I, I'm imagining that the dropout is, is, is uh, very similar. And this is, um, again, Amanda Seyfried is playing her. I know that there was one version with Kate McKinnon who was going to do um, the Elizabeth Holmes story, but I guess she dropped out to do the Tiger King story, just talking about other scandalous shows where she was going to play. And this is with the new girl showrunner, Elizabeth Merriweather, who's doing this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. There's actually even more shows in this vein, drama shows, sort of takedown of this type of people and company. There's one on the startup WeWork starring Anne Hathaway, and there's another upcoming one about the Uber founder, Travis Kalanick. It seems to be in the air. Yeah, and what's interesting to me about these kinds of shows is that they first get explored in the documentary space. So we've seen... Um, really compelling and successful documentaries about Elizabeth Holmes, about Uber, um, about WeWork. Uh, there's one on, on, on Hulu uh, about WeWork. And so, um, you know, the documentarians kind of explored and, and, and show that there's a story there. And then that eventually becomes, you know, a scripted series. So, uh, you know, that, I think that can give you a sense of what may be coming. If you see really uh, well done and, and successful documentaries, about true crime situations like this. That's the next you know, show. Yeah, exactly. It won't be long before you see before you see a scripted show about it. Although, you know, Tiger King, the thing that's interesting about Tiger King is it seems like the momentum for those projects has dissipated. Yeah. Um, it was a phenomenon that that seemed to be largely fueled by the pandemic, the, the documentary series. Um, their follow-up series didn't get nearly as much attention. And the project that was centered on Nicolas Cage, I think, is not happening. So, um, so you know, it's interesting. Sometimes these these projects don't um, exactly come together, and the document, the success of a documentary, doesn't necessarily mean that the interest in that topic is going to sustain um, to to the making of a scripted series, which takes much uh, longer. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Switching gears a bit to some of uh, the shows that are coming up even closer to as we speak now, one of the most anticipated on January 13th, HBO Max, The Peacemaker. Are you looking forward to this, Eric? Well, I've already seen um, all all of the episodes. So, (laughs) um, yeah, this one is really interesting. So, of course, created by James Gunn, who uh, directed and scripted the last Suicide Squad movie, spinning off a character from that. Uh, to to center it, um, uh, John, John Cena's character Peacemaker to center a whole series on it, and what I found was a, a really inconsistent series that would that had high points and had some really good ideas and had some really interesting moments, but never quite gelled into um, a consistently excellent series. And, um, you know, my colleague at NPR, um, Glenn Weldon, made a good point, which is that the show has one joke that it just keeps telling over and over and over again, which is sort of the absurdity of the peacemaker character. And, you know, the idea that this guy is um, sort of this brutal killer who also kind of has a heart of gold and is kind of misdirected and has this terrible father. And um, he's surrounded by this band of misfits. And they're all sort of, um, none none of them are real villains, but they are dysfunctional in a lot of ways. They constantly are messing up. They're constantly fumbling things. Uh, But they're also like highly effective killers and operatives too. So it's, it's kind of a bizarre sort of melange of influences and, and, and characters somewhat similar to the Suicide Squad movie, although I think uh, it's less polished and hangs together. It doesn't hang together quite as well as the movie did. Um, and, and you know, ultimately, I just I wish it had been better. The, the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, that's interesting. Oh, this thing is cool. Oh, that part is, is interesting. I just wish the whole thing had been had, had, had raised this game a little more. Well, the week after HBO has another uh, big show that's high on expectations that they're sort of touting to the Downton Abbey fans, and that's The Gilded Age on January 24th. It's Julian Fellows is back. It's another costume drama set in the 1880s New York City um, with a lot of big names. Who do we have here? Cynthia Nixon, Christine Baranski, uh, Carrie yeah. Coon. What do you know about this? The, of course, the interesting thing about it is, you know, the creator of Downton Abbey and the you know mastermind behind Downton Abbey brings his talents to telling a story in America uh, back in the 1800s. And, uh, you know, w- what can he do with that storyline? Um, you know, for Americans, at least, um, part of the thrill of watching Downton Abbey was that we weren't f- uh, familiar with the customs of that time in Britain. We um, were learning a lot about British culture and a lot about sort of the, the roots of the class conflict and, and things like that by watching Downton Abbey. Now, Julian Fellows is going to be tackling a subject that Americans know much better, which is our own history and our, and our, and our own class conflicts. 
uh, at that time. And, and you know, he's, he's in, uh, uh, someone who's from outside of America telling those stories. So I wonder if this show is going to have the kind of insight um, that we got uh, from Downton Abbey. That rich detail. Well, just the sense that, you know, at Downton Abbey, you had a sense that somebody who really knew the culture was creating this show and, and, and asking a lot of really interesting questions, um, you know, using that format as a way to talk about it. And you could watch and you can learn about sort of the roots of, of some of the class uh, issues in Britain by watching the show. Now, um, does Julian Fellows know America that well, uh, that he can do the same thing uh, in a show that's set, um, you know, in New York City? We, we will see. Um, of course, he will have uh, had a lot of help on this. Right. Uh, and I'm really interested to see it. And I think a lot, I think um, for, for fans of TV, who are not interested in contemporary drama and not interested in sort of action, uh, this might be, you know, the most important and interesting show they'll they'll look at, um, certainly in the next month or two. I need to make one thing clear. Power belongs to old New York, my dear. Not the new, never the new. The old have been in charge since before the revolution. Until the new people invaded. It's not quite as simple as that. Yes, it is. Let the tournament begin. And then we have, also in January, but on Amazon, uh, Jason Kadams. He is the producer-creator of Friday Night Lights, of Parenthood. He has a new drama, which I think sounds really interesting, as we see it. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I've watched several episodes of this, and it's a really uh, uh, sort of emotional and uh, heartfelt show. It's about these three young folks who are, uh, I think, I guess they're in their early 20s, uh, they all have autism. They have uh, different levels of sort of functionality, but uh, they're living in a group home. And that group home is overseen by a caretaker that's played by Sosie Bacon, who just happens to be the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. And if you watch the, the show, The Closer, um, you, you saw one of her first uh, on-screen roles where uh, she played a, a relative of Kira Sedgwick's character. And uh, you may have also seen her in Mirror of Easttown. She, uh, she played the drug-addicted daughter-in-law right. of the main character. In, in this, she does an amazing job playing this caretaker who's sort of torn. She's really good at taking care of these uh, three individuals, but, you know, she's had to put her life on hold to do it. And uh, so she's thinking about going back to grad school and doing this internship that would take her out of town. She's not sure she wants to take it. And at the same time, we see her really making a difference in the lives of these uh, folks that she's taking care of teaching them how to um, handle dating, how to handle um, holding down a job, how to handle one of the characters has a phobia about going out in the open, but he makes friends with a, a young child who also lives in, in their apartment uh, building and, and, and slowly begins to open up. And it's, for, it's, it's his first real friend outside of the people who live in the group uh, home in a long time. Um, so there's a lot of really great storylines and it opens up sort of the continual challenge of trying to help people who are adults biologically, but mentally um, may not be that uh, developed 
and and certainly have a lot of blind spots. You know, one one of the residents is a is a young woman who who is, is really focused on having a romantic relationship and losing her virginity, but because she has autism, she misses a lot of the social cues um, that people have, and she doesn't really understand how to emotionally bond with someone. And, and, and so she's right to be taken advantage of, of course. And she has an older brother uh, who's very protective of her uh, and has sacrificed a lot of his life to take care of her. So th all of these storylines, sort of anyone who's had uh, a family member or someone that they care about um, who has, you know, uh, sort of similar circumstances can relate to these storylines. And, you know, I'm not someone who gets particularly emotional um, when, I, when I watch TV shows because I see so much of them and I'm a professional. But, you know, this show really brought tears to my eyes several times. Uh, Jason Kadams, of course, is an, an amazing storyteller. He, he's done a, he did a great job with Friday Night Lights and a great job with Parenthood. His son is also autistic, and he's, he's talked about negotiating and dealing with that. And I think he probably brings a lot of the experiences that he had within his own family to these storylines. And you can really tell. It feels very authentic. It's very emotional. It's very well done. And who plays the residents? Well, uh, from what I understand, the actors who are playing the residents, none of them are name actors. They're, they're autistic themselves. I mean, I, th I think it lends an authenticity to their performances. You know, uh, you don't feel like you're watching somebody uh, trying to figure out how to play a character. You're watching somebody uh, playing themselves. And I'm, I'm sure these actors are probably a lot more functional than the characters that they're playing. Uh, but but they really uh, all do an amazing job realizing these characters, and it really brings you into the story, and and just um, highlights the the frustration and the challenges and the rewards. You know, when when they actually achieve things, when when one of the characters who has a hard time holding his tongue at work, you know, one of the things that you find with some people with autism is you know they're just brutally honest. And so he tells people at work that when he, when they're stupid <laughs> and, and when they advocate doing things uh, that doesn't make any sense, he just says it without regard for the fact that that may be coming from his boss, the person who controls his employment. So when he finally figures out how to negotiate that and, 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 and be at work and make friends and, and learn how to curve his tongue a little bit, uh, it feels like a tremendous victory. So, you know, I, I, I can't uh, say enough how much I enjoyed this show and how important it is to watch shows like this to try to understand. You ready? I know that you can do it. Let's check in on how our weekly goals are going. As a part of moving into this apartment, we all agreed on a certain set of goals. Yes, I need to get and maintain a job, check. And I need to make friends. Well played, Jack. Thank you, but I didn't play well. You played poorly. You're very old. I'm sorry, it's the Hesburgers. She doesn't mean it. I mean it. She tanked that hand. I want a boyfriend. It's normal to have a boyfriend. Here, look, he's so cute. Ooh, I'd hit that. I'm AJ. We live right above you. I don't leave the building. Why not? <laughs> Lots of reasons. If you're lost in a zone, or you're sinking like a stone, carry on. And that's ultimately the overriding message of this show is that it is possible for these people uh, to be a part of society, a part of mainstream society. We just, uh, the rest of us just have to be a little more understanding about the challenges that they face. 
You really got me to look forward to that. I want to end up here and talk a little bit about genre. I think the few times we've talked, we've talked about these series many times, but I think they're finally coming now. And that's the Lord of the Rings big TV show, (laughs) which took a while, but 2022, as well as House of Dragons, which is the um, Game of Thrones spinoff or what are we calling it? Prequel is what we're going to call it. What do we know? (laughs) Well, of course, we've seen a teaser uh, trailer for the um, Game of Thrones prequel, uh, House of Dragon, House of Dragons, House of Dragon. Dragon. Uh, (laughs) And so we know, you know, Matt Smith is playing a central character in there um, because we saw him play Doctor Who years ago. And and there's a sense that it's focused on uh, the family that um, uh, it's 200 years, it takes place 200 years before uh, the time of uh, that we watched in Game of Thrones. And it tells the story of the family that Daenerys Tar- Tar- Targaryen was descended from, uh, the family that controlled dragons and dominated that um, fictional um, uh, area, that fictional kingdom through their command of dragons. That, now that's what you can glean from watching the teaser trailer and some of the stuff that they've talked about before. It's hard to know what else they're gonna tackle, but uh, it certainly seems like a, a great uh, period to focus on. Um, we, of course, will get to see how the Westeros that we knew in Game of Thrones came to be. These storied characters that were kind of referenced as historical figures in Game of Thrones, we'll get to see what they actually did. And we'll see how that may differ from the legends that were told about them uh, in the Mothership show. Um, now, of course, there's a lot that they have to live up to. Uh, Game of Thrones was a huge success uh, for HBO. And one reason it was a success was because it did a great job sort of translating the production value of big budget movies to a TV series. And so it was expensive, it was time consuming, and it was complicated. And so trying to recreate that in a prequel is uh, definitely a tall order. Yeah, and, and not make it feel like we've saturated, we've seen this world too much and we're just doing things again. The same thing is for The Lord of the Rings, one of the most expensive series of all time. I think they've put in Amazon half a billion dollars into this series. Um, What are are your expectations? I know I'm such a bummer with this, but I just feel like, haven't we seen this many, many (laughs) hours of film in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings? Well, that's that's the thing, you know, Peter Jackson, you know, I I, I said this when when, uh, when, uh, his documentary about the Beatles came out, Get Back, I said, you know, this guy needs an editor. I, you know, he's a brilliant director, um, but he, he, he really puts out, you know, sort of the expanded stuff. So yeah, we did see a lot of this universe um, between the director's cuts of, of the Lord of the Rings movies that he did and the, and the Hobbits. Uh, but this is going to be for streaming. And so, it, and it's going to be a limited series. So it will be by its very definition uh, feel like, uh, a movie kind of stretched over, you know, a, a long period of episodes and lots of things to explore. That's that's uh, so in a way, maybe um, this is the best setting for that kind of story. And maybe it should have been like that, you know, anyway, you know, rather than create these bloated movies that you have to sit through, you know, turning them into a limited series might have made more sense and people could uh, consume it in smaller bites. Uh, of course, everyone's going to be looking at this, and there's a lot of pressure on Amazon. Years and years ago, when they, I mean, they announced this years ago, and, and when they announced it, you also heard these reports that the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, wanted uh, Prime Video to be more populist. At the time, it had been backing these 
sort of boutique and niche shows, you know, shows like Transparent, um, Mozart in the Jungle, even The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you know, shows um, that had a very specific appeal. They were well done, but they weren't necessarily popular shows, shows that would get, you know, a wide ranging viewership. And so the pressure was on um, to the folks at Amazon to come up with more broad based hits. And I think, you know, we saw Jack Ryan, we saw them do um, this, this version of that character uh, for Amazon as an attempt to create their action franchise on television and to mixed results. Uh, and, and, and now we have this uh, Lord of the Rings limited series that's also trying to take something that was immensely popular world of film and create a streaming TV version of it. Uh, they're going to have a lot of challenges, the least of which is fatigue, not just uh, people being fatigued uh, with specific Lord of the Rings products and film. Um, we've seen a lot of knockoffs and spinoffs and shows sort of inspired by similar kinds of worlds, including Game of Thrones, including The Witcher, including Shadow and Bone, including The Wheel of Time, including, you know, I could, I could go on and on. I could name five or five or six more shows that have a similar feel that have been created, you know, just since uh, Game of Thrones went off the air. So um, the they have a tall on. order. They have a tall order to create something that feels unique, but yet is set in a world that uh, fans of the films will know. Finally, is your gut telling you that there'll be any sort of runaway hit that comes from that we weren't mm. expecting, sort of a Tiger King or... or a... It's hard to tell because... There are series out there that feel like attempts to replicate the magic of previous hits. You know, not just, um, you know, this, this Game of Thrones prequel and this Lord of the Rings um, connected show, but uh, something like uh, Pachinko, which is um, a series from South Korea that's going to debut on Apple TV Plus. It's a very different story. It, you know, it's set, uh, it, it, it's, it, it focuses on uh, Korean immigrants to Japan um, at the turn of the century. But there is a sense that Apple TV is saying, hey, you know, maybe this could be our Squid Game. This could be our South Korean TV series that everyone, you know, falls in love with, or at the very least be their parasite, let's say. Creative and well put together drama that reaches international audiences, you know. But my hunch is that the things that will really take off um, will be the shows that surprise us. The shows that come out of nowhere and, um, you know, fulfill a need that we didn't we didn't even know we had right. you know and, and when you look back and you think about squid game or you think about ted lasso you think about some of the hits that sort of um of, of the last year they they were all kind of surprises you know people yeah they felt like they came from a little bit from nowhere when we yeah, started people thinking were, years you know this uh, people will tell you that success in in entertainment often comes from giving the audience something that it didn't even know that it wanted and so I think that will be the key to, to successful series, especially in 2022, because there's so much television out there. And so much of it is derivative from stuff that we've uh, seen before. I, I, I do want to put in a little plug for uh, a really great um, TV movie that I saw. Well, it'd be considered a TV movie, I guess. It's going to be on Acorn TV for, for most viewers, but it was also a British production. It's called uh, Help. And it stars Jodie Comer. And she plays uh, a young woman who gets a job in a senior care, for, senior care facility in Britain. And then the pandemic hits. And it starts to rage through um, the facility. And there's one particular harrowing night 
where she has to take care of the whole ward by herself while patients are clearly dying from COVID and the national, the British National Health Service uh, has sort of, uh, is not helping. And, they're, and they're, they suspect that the National Health Service has sort of decided that, you know, senior citizens are low priority. And so they're not getting the PPE they need. They're not getting the, um, the help that they need to take care of these residents. And these people that you sort of bonded with and watched her bonding with uh, are dying from the disease. And, um, and there's more to the story. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to give it away. It goes in places that you would not expect. This job is about treating people with dignity. I'm Tony, by the way. I'm on way from the hospital. We're going to be taking on a few more residents. Was it safely? Where's your mask? I didn't know we needed to wear them. <laughs> Did you know it would be like this? This is us being useful. I need urgent medical assistance. Nobody's picking up. Tony, Tony, I need your help. No one's coming. It's a really poignant story. And, you know, I've seen a lot of TV shows try to tackle what it was like to be a first responder or healthcare worker as COVID hit. I have not seen a production do it quite as well as this one. Wow. So that was called Help. Um, that sounds yeah. like a tough but uh, really interesting watch. Really interesting. Thank you so much. I'm going to have to call on you again because we only really scraped the surface with a few of these shows here at the beginning, and it seems like we're going to be. So I hope I can call on you again in a couple always, months. Always. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.